0: It's go time.
1: Welcome everyone to Quick Kicks here on Third Down Gamble. I'm Don Charbon and Heath Graham is with me tonight. And we have a very special guest. And this is going to be weird to say. The former voice of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, Bob Irving, is back. Bob, Welcome.
2: Hi, guys. How are you? Doing great. Good. <laughs> yeah, it does sound weird, doesn't it? I'm, I'm pretty much used to it, though.
0: So well, let's jump right into that former voice of the Blue Bombers then, Bob. Uh, Derek Taylor had a couple of years as the Rough Riders play-by-play guy and has now jumped into the booth right. at Investors Group Field. Have you, talked, have you talked much with Derek and what kind of advice have you given him taking over in Bomberland?
2: Well, we've talked uh, a number of times since CJOB hired him to do the, the Blue Bomber games. He just uh, kind of wanted to get a, a lay of the land situation and what it's like to work at the radio station. And uh, we talked about, you know, our broadcast versus the one he did in Regina. We do a two-hour pregame show. They only did one hour there. And of course, uh, Derek's in charge of the entire two hours and then the play-by-play on the postgame show. Yeah, we've had a, a number of chats. I didn't give him any advice. I mean, Derek, he's been in the business a long time. He was here in Winnipeg for a number of years. He did the play-by-play of Manitoba Bison football games. He did the Riders now for a couple of years. So he's an experienced guy. He knows what he's doing. But we, we've had a number of chats, and I've wished him nothing but the best and told him to just do your thing, and uh, everything will work out just fine.
0: So That's some great advice. How much football do you intend to watch this year?
2: Well, I'll watch every CFL game, pretty much. Uh, that's what I've done for as long as I can remember, as long as we had PVRs. And the ones I couldn't watch, I I taped and then watched later. You, you know, you can't sort of divorce yourself totally from something you've covered for, what, 47, 48 years of your career. Uh, I love the league. I, I love watching the games. And so I'm going to, as we sit here and talk about it before the start of the regular season, I'm going to watch them all. And I intend to go to all the Bomber home games. I don't have any role or capacity, but I'll just go as a, an observer, a, I guess a fan, and uh, I will remain interested and engaged in what the Canadian
0: Football League is doing. Are you going to be sitting amongst the fans or have you got some, uh, some press box priorities that you're going to be able to sneak up there every now and then?
2: <laughs> well, I've been given a pass by the Blue Bombers, a press box pass, but uh, we do have tickets too. And my wife goes to all of the games and she's encouraged me to sit in stands with her a time or two, and I, uh, you know, after all these years of sitting in the press box, it's uh, it's quite different. Uh, but I'm sure I'll do that. I expect to be in in both locations
0: from time to time. At least while the weather's nice, it's going to be a, a great experience to be amongst the fans. Uh, for the game with Edmonton, it was just spectacular.
1: Just going to echo what Heath had to say. Uh, if you're moving down in the stands, make sure it's before the uh, <laughs> Thanksgiving weekend. <laughs>
2: We have always worked with an open booth when we do our, have done our play by play over the years. And I, I think back to the West final last year against Saskatchewan, that was a cold, miserable day in Winnipeg, but we had our windows wide open in the booth. I am accustomed to watching uh, late fall CFL football in the elements.
1: <laughs> well, speaking of elements, and we've had a lot of them when it came to the uh, CFL and CBA negotiations during this process, uh, what was going through your mind? They have a deal, players vote it down, deadline looms. What's going on in your mind in all of this?
2: Well, I followed it very closely, obviously, as did many people. When the league and the CFL Players Association have had these discussions, they've kind of been last-minute talks, but they've reached an agreement fairly quickly, uh, certainly before any, any strike deadline. I could sense though, so early in the back and forth that the players were more determined than probably they've been for quite a while to win some gains and, you know, get some concessions that they'd never gotten before. So I, I sensed that right off the bat. And then you get a feeling that, you know, maybe this is not going to go very smoothly. And of course it didn't, uh, you know, with uh, finally they get a, an agreement but it won't be it isn't ratified by the players and so back to the drawing board and if they don't have a decision by midnight Thursday they're going to lock the players out cancel preseason games so yeah, i think the whole thing was was disappointing really but again if you follow labor negotiations anywhere this is sometimes how it plays out and the good news is at the end of the day the two sides were able to reach an accord that I don't know if they're both totally happy with, but uh, I think the players made some significant gains, and much of the discussion was about the Canadian ratio, of course. So the good news is it got settled, and it's a seven-year deal, which is the best thing about it. It means we don't have to worry about any more labour talks for seven years, which is kind of a lifetime, really, when you think about it with labour negotiation. You know, it had a happy ending, but it was... uh, it was interesting to follow, and there were moments where you go, my goodness, how is, is this thing just going to blow up? Because the CFL didn't need this sort of a distraction at this point. Uh, but again, it, it ended on a good note, and uh, now we look forward to a great season.
0: I think another key of this CBA is that it actually expires a month before the preseason games as opposed to holding the teams hostage the day before camps open.
2: Yeah, that's right, and that's one of the things that the owners wanted and the players didn't want or rather the players wanted the owners didn't want to give up so yeah I think it's great because that gives them in a month to get the work done for a new CBA so that was uh, that was one of the significant aspects of it and I think a very important one
1: the uh, CBA includes a change to the Canadian ratio especially when it comes to playing time yeah I teased on a previous podcast that you might need an abacus to figure out, How much time this player's got versus his designated American substitute is getting. Do you think, though, that given that this change has happened, that two substitutions for nationals out of the seven starting nationals, do you think that that was an erosion or something that was just inevitable?
2: Well, I think as the negotiations went along, it, it became inevitable that there was going to have to be some adjustment re the ratio. For me, the good news is this. So for seven years, we'll still have 21 Canadians on every CFL roster. The roster is 43. There have to be 21 Canadians. That has not changed. The entire discussion was about the starters. So this year, we'll have seven starters again, and then it changes with this American who's been five years in the league, three with one team, can be designated a national, and then he can take half the playing time of one of your starting Canadians. And for those of us who are great proponents of the Canadian aspect of this league and who have backed the Canadian players and don't think the ratio should ever change, and I'm one of them, that's a little disappointing. And yet, you know, I get it. Here's the thing. The coaches in the CFL, except for Michael Shea, correct me if I'm wrong, are are all Americans. And they would like to use their American players, their DIs, a little bit more than they've been able to. Because in the past, the designated import and they're all Americans would go in and replace an American. Now, if you qualify as a national, you can go in and replace a Canadian for half the plays over the course of a season. How they're going to track that, I don't know. Uh, It'll be very interesting to see how they do it. Yeah, in one respect, uh, guys, I don't like it, but at the same time, I kind of understand it, and the bottom line for me is you still have to start at least six, seven Canadians. Yes, they'll lose a little bit of playing time, a little bit if the coaches feel that The American DI is better than the Canadian they have in there. But overall for seven years, still 21 Canadians on the roster. That to me is the basis of this league. It gives Canadian kids a chance to improve and progress. And we know there's always been a difference there. You know, first of all, the numbers for every Canadian that comes out of a Canadian college, there's what, 100 or 500 that come out of U.S. colleges. And of course... You know, we're a hockey country, uh, whereas down in the States, they can play and play and train in football all year round. So I think you, you have to give up a little bit, which they did, but they, we still have a, a strong Canadian influence and element in the CFL. And I think that's
0: very important. Wrong. I would call you a traditionalist when it comes to the CFL, the rules and the rosters and that sort of thing. If there was a rule change that you could implement, what would that be? What would you like to see different about the CFL?
2: I wouldn't uh, propose any rule changes. So they moved the hash marks in this year. They're going to bring the ball out to the 40 instead of the 35 after a field goal, that sort of thing. Those are fine. Those to me are tweaks. I watched the game last night with the the hash marks in and didn't notice any difference, but I'm sure the coaches will feel that there's a something they can do with that, but I don't see the need for any changes. Honest to goodness. I don't in the game. I think the rules are great. And and like I say, they've tweaked uh, a few of them. Great. They're trying to get more scoring. And I think, Most fans, anyway, I think that's a good idea. But I don't see the need to to change any of the rules. I really don't. I think they're fine. They're the best rules that any football league has. There's no fair catch, which I hate in the NFL and college football here. You've got to catch the ball, you've got to return it because kick returns are exciting. They're one of the most exciting parts of the game. So, I've said this for years, and you're right. I am a traditionalist. Some call me an old fogey in that regard, and that's okay. I accept that. <laughs> I just think that uh, our rules are great. Whatever problems the game has or has had have nothing to do with the rules, okay, and the way the game is is played. Uh, and so I say, leave it alone. Leave the leave the game alone. It's been great for so many years in terms of entertainment quality and all the rest of it. And I can't think of one thing, one significant thing that I would change.
1: Bud Grant famously on his 95th birthday really came out and championed the Canadian game, yeah. basically elocuting that the NFL had a lot to learn from how Canada approached football.
2: Well, and he also said that people in the NFL have this massive ego and feeling of importance and they would never ever concede that anything, any other football league did might be better than what they have, which I loved from Bud, but all the years he spent in Winnipeg, he loved the Canadian football. He loves the rules. I mean he's one of the guys who said don't change your rules. Uh, Mark Crestman said the same thing not too long ago. He said, there's nothing wrong with your game. Your game's great. Leave it alone. So good for those guys.
0: Let's shift gears a little bit and talk about the current blue bombers team. Us lifelong Bomber fans and yourself are very, very fortunate that your last two seasons calling the Bombers resulted in Grey Cup wins. How do you think this team and the the back-to-back Grey Cup champs stacks up to kind of that mid to late 80s juggernaut that the Bombers had as well?
2: It's interesting you ask me that because the other day, a former Bomber who played in the late 80s and 90s asked me which <clears throat> Bomber era that I've covered I felt was the best and had the best teams. And I immediately said, well, first of all, you have to look at 2019, 2021, because they won back to back great cup. This particular short period of time would rank right up there. But then I said, it would have to be the, the Cal Murphy teams in the mid eighties from 83, 84, 85, 86, 87. Uh, those teams were outstanding and they had all kinds of star players the one thing, and Cal Murphy told me many times, the one thing he regretted about those years is they only won one great cup, and that was in 1984. Tom Clements, at quarterback after they traded Dieter Brock, they had a star-studded offense and defense, and, and Cal always felt uh, regretted that, I don't know if regret's is the word, but he always felt that they could have and should have won another great cup or two. So that's the period that I would reference if these guys can do it again for a third year at this current edition of the blue bombers, then they move to the top of the class for me. But those teams in the, in the mid eighties, man, they were something else.
0: They were, I think of Willard Reeves, James Murphy, Rick house on offense. And then of course that, that defense with Tyrone Jones and,
2: They were outstanding. Chris Walby on the O-line, I mean, their offensive line, but Joe Poplosky, Stan McWass, just there was a ton of them. Those teams were so good, and the characters on them were so much fun to be around. I look back, too, and and covering the team, James West, and you talked about Ty Jones and some of those guys. Man, they were were interesting people (laughs) And and fun to interview and talk to on a regular basis.
1: Let's not forget to give some love out to Kenny Plain and the Bombers of the late 50s and early 60s who rolled up a lot of Grey Cup wins.
2: Oh, sure. Yeah, no, no. The Bud Grant era is the most successful in Bomber history. But uh, boy, after I'd been at CGOB for two or three years, I was well educated on the incredible success the Bombers had under Bud Grant in the late 50s and early 60s. They won four Grey Cups some of the great players in CFL history, never mind bomber history, Leo Lewis, Kenny Plain. Man, you can go on and on and on. Tons of them in the Hall of Fame. That is the most successful bomber era, for sure. And it'll take some doing for Mike O'Shea and his gang here now to overtake that, that crew.
1: Part of the problem for O'Shea is that, yes, he's got that great unit, but they are also three years older.
2: Well, that's right. And, and it is an older team. I know one of the sort of Unfortunate ways the Bud Grant era ended was that you know the team got older and and they just couldn't replace the stars that they had and couldn't find the the same caliber of players again and that happens with all teams in all sport really it's difficult to keep winning year after year after year and the bombers do have an older team there's no doubt about that but they still have you know lots of players in their prime you know mid to late twenties early thirties. And you know, I think players are in better condition and prepared to play longer now than they ever have been. So uh, you're right, though. Uh, you know, I, I think the the calendar is against them in some ways. But that's where you know, every year, if you can bring in two, three, four, five new guys and plug them in, some younger guys, and keep that rotation going, uh, you can keep winning. There are teams in the, I mean, the Montreal Alouettes with Anthony Calvillo. They had a long stretch a good number of years where they kept succeeding. And yeah, I think the Bombers have a chance to do that, but it's challenging for sure.
0: CFL players all wear a face mask for safety. With COVID-19 on our field, we also need to wear our masks to keep everyone safe. Do your part, be a team player.
2: If I've counted
0: correctly, there's been 15 head coaches for the Bombers in your tenure covering the team, (laughs) from Ray Ray Yock through Mike O'Shea. Um, Is there a a sleeper coach out there that you thought was just absolutely great to deal with that maybe doesn't quite get the recognition that some of the the big names do?
2: Well, and actually, uh, Jim Spavadal was a coach when I first came here, and then Bud Riley took over before Ray came along.
0: Okay, I stand corrected. So 17 coaches. (laughs) Well, Mike Riley was terrific. Uh,
2: From 87 to 90, they won two great cups. Uh, He was as decent a human being as you're ever going to find. Uh, And I loved working with Mike. Uh, You know, we remain in contact today, uh, off and on. So I have wonderful memories about him. Of course, Cal Murphy was... He was just a dynamite, his legacy here will go on forever. And Cal was a fun character too. I don't want to name everybody. Dave Ritchie had a lot of fun with Dave Ritchie. And Now, Michael Shea came here in 2014. He's one of the real salt of the earth people that I've ever met and dealt with in my long years covering the Blue Bombers. He's just a, he's a regular guy in so many ways. Uh, he and his family have settled here in Winnipeg. We've developed a, you know, a real good sort of rapport and relationship. I love doing our weekly show with him and being around him. He's just a, just a great human being, and obviously he's turned into a heck of a coach. I think those are the ones that, you know, when I think about it, just off the top of my head, that, that I remember the most fondly.
0: I, I do have to throw one more name at you disaster on field results but a, a great soundbite and a wonderful guy and I think I, I can tell you know who I'm talking about is, is Jeff Reinbold.
2: Well I love Jeff Reinbold honest to goodness he was he was fun to deal with too and he and I have sort of stayed in touch over the years he stayed in the league and whenever we see each other we give each other a big hug and we laugh the results were Jeff just couldn't get things properly organized. He he never had a quarterback, which was one of the problems he had here. He could count on. But, uh, yeah, I have fond memories of Jeff. He, was, he wasn't here very long. But, uh yeah, he, he was a guy that uh, I have had and still have affection for, for sure.
0: I have to tell you, as a fan of the Bombers in that era, I was – in my early 20s, when he came to town and he came roaring in on his Harley, and I bought in 100% on on what he was bringing to the table. So it was uh, a real, real fun yep. era in one way, but the on field results just didn't come to fruition.
2: Well, he was a heck of a salesman and he sold himself to the bomber directors. That's why they hired him. You talk about his Harley. <clears throat> Pardon me, he always had something like that going on. I'll, I'll, I'll never forget, I'll tell a quick story of when they fired him. That, we, we did our regular Monday night coaches show from Ray and Jerry's restaurant here in Winnipeg. And I forget what day they fired him. So I said to him, do you still want to do your, like a final coaches show on my, oh, sure. Sure. So we did this final coach a show at Ray and Jerry's and it was incredible. The outpouring of love for him was unbelievable. There were flowers that had been sent to Ray and Jerry so we go in to do the show and we're surrounded by bouquets of flowers and good well wishes and all the rest of it. Now that's probably a small number of fans, but they loved the guy. He was he was a charismatic individual. A lot of the fans were mad at him and wouldn't have felt the same way. It was just one of those scenes where I'm sitting there thinking, this is unbelievable. They just fired this guy. And we're doing this show and the fans are, there's an outpouring of love for a coach who just got fired. It
0: was really quite unique. And then that sort of sums up Jeff Reinbold. And, and I think it sums up the CFL as a whole too, of how, how involved the fans are with the team and, and how much we kind of yep. almost seem to build these relationships on a personal level.
2: Yeah, no, that's true. Uh, and again, Jeff, because he was so charismatic uh, he attracted a lot of followers. People bought into what he was. I say selling is the term I use, and he had a strong, strong following. I, mean, I would also say though that when his name comes up with a lot of the fans, there aren't there aren't any good feelings because of the results on the field. So it's a mixed bag. Read Jeff.
1: Maybe one of the best eras that never was was that era of Kahari Jones, Milt steagle Doug Brown, the guys that carried the team for the first part of this century for a decade they got to three gray cups couldn't pull it off
2: yeah i know that's one of doug brown's regrets is that uh, boy he played on some terrific teams and they just could not take that final step so that's the way it works sometimes but oh, those Car- harry jones for three or four years with him and milt stegall and uh, they were electric they had a bunch of outstanding players, exciting players, and those games, they had the place rocking. One of the games I'll never forget is the night that Steagall broke the all-time record for touchdowns. I've told people this. It was at Winnipeg Stadium, the old Winnipeg Stadium. And I have never, in all the years I did games there, heard the crowd so loud, and I actually felt the stands shaking and people were up applauding and screaming, and they didn't stop for three or four minutes. It was really an electric moment for the Blue Bombers and for the fans and for me and everybody who was there. It was, uh, yeah, those teams were great for whatever reason. It just didn't—they couldn't quite bring it home.
0: That was one of the games that I will remember as being in attendance as well. Um, probably my—I I haven't been to a Grey Cup game that they've—they've they've won but that was probably the moment that stands out for me in Bomber fandom of a game that I was at live to to see that record broken was real, real experience.
2: Well, and and of course, people went to that game with the expectation, right, that it was going to happen. So there was a buzz, a real buzz uh, in the crowd before the game, because they knew they were going to be, or could be there for history. And and they were. And it was, uh, when I think back, I often get asked, you know, what games do you remember most? I'm going, geez, I, i Covered a, oh, close to a thousand bar games. It's kind of hard to pick any, but that one, among a few others,
0: uh, certainly is one I'll never forget. Well, it was kind of like watching Gretzky chasing goal scoring records at the pace Milt was scoring touchdowns. Yeah. You had to have a pretty good feeling that he was going to get it done at home.
2: Well, it's funny you mentioned uh, Reinbold. Uh, Milt was here for Reinbold's short term. And Joe Paploski and I did the games then. And we often said, God, thank God they have Milt Stegall. At least he gives you, you know, something excited about and, uh, and give the, gives the fans a, you know, a reason to stand up and cheer. Uh, and then, of course, the Bombers got better. And, you know, Milt's another guy who had a wonderful, wonderful career, but never got a chance to drink out of the great Cup.
1: And now Milt, of course, is on the panel on TSN, and uh, he's doing a really nice job there.
2: Yeah, he uh, he likes to express his opinions, doesn't he? Of course, that's what they want from him. And he doesn't express them very quietly a lot of times. He gets that voice of his cranked up and, and lets him fly. Uh, yeah, he's found some nice uh, post-football work that uh, he's making a very
0: nice living at, I understand, and good for him. You mentioned Doug Brown was your former color guy in the booth, and we've seen Kahari Jones and Buck Pierce and Ryan Dinwiddie taking on coaching roles. Do you see anybody on the current team that you think could slip into either a media or coaching role moving forward? That's a good question.
2: I don't know about a coaching role. There's probably a few that uh, would, would be good prospective coaches. A lot of them probably are thinking in those terms, although a lot of, I will say this too, a lot of players want no part of coaching because of the hours that are involved. I mean if you're a player you're at the stadium for four or five six maybe seven hours a day if that but if you're a coach you're there from six in the morning till six at night basically seven days a week all season long so that deters a lot of former players from wanting to get into coaching as a matter of fact Mike O'Shea, when he was finished playing he had no interest in coaching and he he worked for a couple of years before the argos invited him to come back and coach their special teams and now he's He's deeply into it. So I can't think of anybody off the top of my head who I would immediately say would make a good coach. But I'm sure there's a number of those guys who are thinking in those terms for when they're done playing.
1: Coming up to the 2022 season, what do you think is going to happen in the West?
2: Here's what I think. I think the Bombers should be favored to win the West because of what's happened last year in 2019 and I think they will be and are in the minds of most, the book, uh, bookkeepers, bookmakers, and all that. I see Calgary as the, the biggest threat to the Bombers, and, and I'll add a caveat to that. Providing Bo Levi Mitchell uh, is back to what he was in his heyday. You know, He's had problems with that arm and shoulder the last couple of years. He hasn't been the same player. All the reports out of Calgary is that he's throwing the ball very, very well and looks like he's back to normal. Uh, I think Calgary is set to really give the Bombers a tussle for the West Division title. Saskatchewan, I don't rule out, but I, I think they're an notch below Calgary. Edmonton, I don't know. They've made so many changes to their roster, and it, I don't know if they can bring it all together. Chris Jones, their head coach, is a, he's a terrific defensive mind, so I think they'll have a pretty good defense. Uh, but I, I think it's going to be a challenge for Edmonton to, to stay with the Bombers and Calgary. And then BC, man, oh, man, I don't know. They've added some key players, too. But their quarterback situation with those young Canadian kids is just so much up in the air. We don't know what they can get from those young quarterbacks unless they, you know, make a move to try to get Chris Streveler or somebody like that who was cut by Miami. So I don't know about the BC Lions. It'll all come down to their, their quarterback situation because I, I think they've really improved in a lot of areas. But if you don't have a quarterback, you don't have anything. I'm talking to Paul Lampoliste the other day in Ottawa. He just basically said, we have Jeremiah Mazzoli. Now we have a chance. We have a chance, and boy, that's, uh, that's truer words were never spoken when it comes to football. If you don't have a quarterback, you don't have a chance.
0: And Ottawa actually might have a really good one-two punch. Caleb Evans looked pretty comfortable in his second year coming back and can do some amazing things there as well.
2: They feel he has real upside, but now they got Mazzoli, the proven vet, and they improved their offensive line. They've added some receivers, Darvin Adams being one of them. So I expect Ottawa, I expect them to be a lot better this year.
1: Out of the East, who do you think is going to be the team to beat?
2: I think it's a real toss-up there. I know a lot of people think the Argos, and they've signed some key free agents. But again, the one thing they don't have is the continuity that a team like Winnipeg has. And if you can meld all those pieces together and make it work, then, then talent-wise, the Argos certainly look like a team that can give Hamilton a good run. Tiger Cats, I, I think, are going to be right there. They brought many of their key players back, and they've been so good the last couple of years. So I think it's Montreal, I don't know. Vernon Adams, their quarterback is, and I know they have Trevor Harris there too, so they're deep at that position. I think Adams has been a, a player who looks like he could be a superstar one week, and then the next week, you're not so sure about that. I don't know how that quarterback thing is going to develop in Montreal, but. I that's an intriguing mix of players there, too, with stand back at running back. They look pretty good in a lot of ways. And then Ottawa, as we said, hey, uh, they've made some changes. So I'm intrigued by the East. I really am. I think, I think all things are possible in the East this year.
0: The radio play-by-play guys is a very small fraternity in the CFL. How much time did you spend with other guys when you were traveling on the road? Do you kind of meet up with the, the play-by-play guy in another city when you go visit?
2: Well, sure. We always talk and and we visit. We see each other usually the day before the game at the news conferences that the two teams hold. And uh, then the next day we'll we'll talk before the game and exchange pleasantries. Uh, Occasionally you'll go out and have a a meal or a drink with these guys before the game. We're a fraternity. Uh, We all get along. Uh, Some of them are, are real good friends of mine. And I've said this many times to many different people that there are nine people in Canada who do professional football play by play. And I was one of them. And I I felt so kind of honored and privileged to have that uh, distinction. And it's something I was very proud of. And uh, so we're kind of a small club. Yeah. I would be on the phone with them and uh, know them all on a very, you know, very close personal level and we're a group for sure.
0: And what would you say is the best stadium to visit when you're on the road?
2: Well, first of all, I'll say that IG Field is the best stadium in the CFL, far and away. It's just the best. The atmosphere is fantastic. The stadium looks beautiful. Our vantage point from our broadcast booth, is there's, there's none like it. The second best for me uh, to broadcast a game from is BC Place, because you're really close to the field and you almost feel like you're right on top of the players to some degree. Among the worst are Hamilton, Montreal, And Calgary, because we're so far from the field. Now, this is just a a personal perspective as a play-by-play guy. We're so far from the field that it's difficult at times, especially when the plays in the far end to pick up the numbers. So I never really like doing games from those stadiums for that reason. Uh, I mean, I still like doing the games, but you know what I mean? It wasn't as easy as it is in Winnipeg, Uh, Edmonton's good too. And uh, BC was my second favorite place to do games from, but there's nothing like IG field. Honest to goodness. It's uh, you know, for those who've never been to a game there, you, you really are missing out that the stadium is, it's just, it's unlike any other in the CFL. I know Mosaic and Saskatchewan. They like to say they've got the nicest stadium in the country and good for them. They, that's the way they feel. But I think ours has some things that theirs doesn't have that, that set it apart.
1: The so one thing that I've, found with the stadium in Winnipeg is that the acoustics are just incredible. Yes. That you can literally sit in the stands and hear the players on the field. Yeah. They're talking to each other on the field. You can hear that in the stands. It's so amazing.
2: At the preseason game with the Bombers in Edmonton, I didn't have my headphones on because I wasn't doing the play-by-play. So I sat in the press box you're right. Just the ambiance in there, you know, and there was 20,000 people, It's just an electricity. And there's a buzz that you can feel all through the game. And part of that is driven by the canopies up above, which bring the noise down. And it's just a cool feeling. It really is just a, a neat feeling you feel like you're somewhere where there's something going on. Right. And, and it just kind of gets you going a little bit. So I just love IG feel. I really do.
1: You're at the stadium. You feel that energy. Are there any pangs? Are there any, oh, maybe I left one year too soon?
2: No, not at all. Not at all. I don't like doing preseason games, okay? So that's maybe part of it, because in preseason games, you've got a ton of players who are never going to be in the league, and you, you, you still haven't had a chance to memorize the numbers, and they're a pain in the neck for a play-by-play guy. Uh, but no, 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 I was ready to move on. And, and I think uh, going to that first preseason game, just drove the point home for me that uh, it was time to move on it requires i don't know how to put this we have to do a lot of work to prepare to broadcast the game every week and i just didn't have the energy anymore to do the work doing the play-by-play is easy i mean really it's easy the hard part is all the the interviews and the editing and the prep work that you have to do uh, for a game i say hard part i still i enjoyed it but it just became work for me, and uh, it requires a mental energy that I just didn't have anymore. And so if I could just sit down and do the play-by-play of, of a game every week, that would be easy. But you can't do it that way. So uh, I knew it was time to, to move in another direction, and I have no second thoughts at all. And I'm looking forward to – I wasn't quite sure how I, I'd feel, but uh, no, it's all good. It's all good. It, they often say, you know when it's time to go, and it was time to go. That's the, the perfect way. Like if, I, if you get fired, then, then you're angry, right? Uh, you don't feel your days are over, and then you're bitter and all the rest of it. I'm not bitter about anything. This was my decision entirely, and uh, again, I feel fortunate I've been able to do it as long as I have and then be able to go out on my own terms, going to the games and following the league and just being, you know, a fan. Uh, it's going to be cool. Well, and back-to-back
0: Grey Cup champs was a great way to go out, Bob.
2: Oh, man, yeah. And the last game I did, we didn't get a chance to do the Grey Cup game, was the West Final. And what a spectacular game that was with a sold-out crowd and, you know, back and forth, the riders and bombers. It came down to a, a, a big play by Nick Taylor with a few seconds left to break up a Saskatchewan drive. And, I mean, the whole thing was you couldn't have scripted it any better in terms of a last game to do.
1: Bob, I know you're active on Twitter. What's your Twitter handle?
2: See, I'm technically challenged. I got my phone right here. Is it? uh, You know, I can't answer that question. Isn't that awful? I'm on Twitter. I'm on Twitter because they, the people at CJOB, set it up on my phone, and I just go on and tweet. I know how to tweet, and that's about it. That's embarrassing. Yeah.
1: Do not be embarrassed about that at all. At Bob Irving CJOB.
2: There you go. I think that's still it. Although I don't work at CGOB anymore, they've let me keep that handle. I don't know how long they're going to, but I guess unless I say something that's totally outrageous and they feel is reflecting poorly on them, they might kick me off. But I think that's what it still is, yeah.
1: You're a strong champion for the Canadian Football League, and if anyone reads your tweets, that's exactly where you are.
2: Yeah, I always have been. I grew up in Regina. I was a Rough Rider fan, George Reed, Ronnie Lancaster, The Canadian Football League was always dear to my heart. And then I came to Winnipeg in 73, started covering the Bombers. I love the league, despite all its imperfections and all the issues it's had over the years. It's a grand old Canadian institution that uh, I embraced a long time ago and will always love and will always defend. Even though sometimes you shake your head and go, what are these guys thinking? At the end of the day, the bottom line for me is this is an important part of, of Canadiana. It's an important part of our sports culture, the Canadian Football League, and I I will always feel that way.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much for being on the show again. I really appreciate it.
2: My pleasure, you guys. It was great to talk to you and say hi to all our friends in Carberry, Heath.
0: I certainly will. (laughs) Thank you for listening to our show third down gamble is hosted on Podby and can be found on apple podcasts google podcasts and spotify follow us on twitter at third down gamble join us again the third down gamble podcast audio worth watching